0: and the Energy Student Resources Portal, a wiki-style collection of our work that's free for high school teachers and university professors to use in their classrooms. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to Simon Dyer, who is the Deputy Executive Director of Pembin Institute, based in Alberta. They have written a very, very interesting document called Alberta's Roadmap to the New Energy Economy. Now, astute Energy Talks uh, listeners will recall uh, that last fall, uh, the Alberta Federation of Labor released a report, Skate to Where the Puck is Going, where I was the lead writer. And essentially, we did attempt to do kind of the same thing, a, a roadmap to the clean energy economy for Alberta. So as you can imagine, I'm very excited to talk to Simon about his report. So welcome to the interview, Simon. Thanks for having me, Malcolm. This is, in Alberta, I don't think there's anything more important than a plan for the energy economy. And let me put some context in here. Uh, We saw the energy transition accelerating prior to COVID, which arrived in 2020. COVID was the first big, call it a consumer shock, an economic shock uh, that affected the energy transition so it accelerated even more. By 2021, the International Energy Agency was talking about how a new clean energy economy was emerging globally. Then along comes 2022, and Russia invades Ukraine. Now you've got another shock, a supply shock, an energy crisis in Europe. And in 2023, the IEA releases another report called Technology Perspectives 2023, and it says the energy transition is now accelerated so quickly that it has kicked off a new industrial revolution because now we have to build all of that clean energy technology that we're deploying at scale at a terrific pace. We have to build the wind turbines and we have to build the battery plants and the EVs and solar panels, all of that. And we were seeing a terrific amount of capital being deployed in a short amount of time. I mean, literally, probably the rest of the 2020s are the period in which Alberta has to really correct course, to begin to implement the kind of plan that you wrote about in your in the report. And I think that's why, and, and I should mention, I mean, in my opinion... Um, The changes we're seeing at the global level are an existential threat to Alberta's energy economy. The status quo can't last much longer. Oil, peak oil is going to, or or, sorry, oil demand is going to peak in 2030 or earlier. Natural gas uh, will peak in sometime in the 2030s. The IEA and BP say that LNG uh, demand is going to peak in 2030 and then decline. I mean, there's, it's just pretty clear the writing's on the wall. And Alberta either makes its adaptation, begins making its adaptation now, or it will suffer the consequences, the economic consequences, uh, in the 2030s and 2040s. Is that a fair hypothesis for the the context in which we should view the Pembina's report?
1: Absolutely, Malcolm. I I think you've hit the nail on the head. And of course, uh, yeah, we're very impressed by the work by the Alberta Federation of Labor, too. I mean, we, uh, Perhaps like others, just want to make sure that we're talking about these issues in Alberta. There are no more critical issues for Albertans worried about, uh, worried about the future. Look, I mean, Alberta's always been a leader on energy, but as the as the 2023 election approaches, uh, it, it feels like we're not talking about how much of a change is actually taking place. It's not 2019 anymore. It's not even 2021, as you said. The world is changing so fast. And we wanted to produce a A nonpartisan summary of this changing context around energy to sort of inform the conversations and hopefully inform our future leaders so that we get a discussion about how a a new alberta government could lead and it's yeah i mean it's technologies it's uh the world is acting governments around the world and legislating net zero targets and the policies to achieve them at a rapid pace companies are looking to invest in jurisdictions that are embracing the clean economy and uh Alberta is a bit of an outlier in this um, um, respect. We don't even have a climate plan or a commitment to reduce emissions in Alberta. You compare that to the federal government or the cities of Calgary or Edmonton or many of the, the companies that are, are housed here. We need to, we need to, we need to catch up. And as you said, um, fossil fuel um, demand is set to decline this decade. Uh, the majority of Albertans say they want to diverse the province's economy and uh, Think it would be beneficial to move away from reliance on oil and gas, but we're not really seeing those conversations by uh, and the leaders of the major parties uh, currently. So we think, you know, it's time for Alberta to lead, and that means confront the realities of global shift to low carbon economies and uh, help all of us as Albertans secure an equitable future.
0: I was in Alberta a couple of weeks ago to to. Um videotaped some interviews with hydrogen leaders and I attended the one day hydrogen mm-hmm. summit in Edmonton. And I also attended the uh, Friday, uh, about 10, 12 days ago, the launch of the hydrogen uh, class eight semi-truck demonstration project. And one of the, you know, there were all sorts of executives and some politicians and, and bureaucrats there. And, and I, I walked away from that thinking that those folks got it. You know they they understood. There's a lot of enthusiasm. The the corner has turned on that part of the conversation. I think uh, amongst you know plenty of industry people and and uh, and the like. The problem where we're not having the conversation is at the is at the political at the highest political level in Alberta, with you know the provincial level, uh, and the problem with that is that policy plays such a key role, and is but is going to play a bigger role. We've done a lot of work uh, recently uh, around industrial policy, industrial strategy and policy, and and the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act is a big example of that, uh, and, and so we wanted to understand it, and we've interviewed all sorts of, of experts, and if Alberta doesn't have an industrial strategy and policy for its clean energy sector, it won't it won't fully take advantage of the opportunities that are being presented to it. So the energy, this conversation we're talking about needs to put, be, take place at that highest level between the political parties during the election campaign, and it's not. It's being stifled by discussion about how we extend the status quo. How do we export more LNG? How do we export more oil sands bitumen? I mean, it's 20th century energy. We need to look forward to the 21st century energy. So that, in my opinion, is a real problem. Uh, and there's a disconnect in Alberta between its its uh, politicians and policymakers and the rest of the folks in the industry who and and mayors and others who get it, but they don't have their hands on the levers the way people like Premier Daniel Smith do. So would you agree or disagree with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you were to sort of just be following the media, you would think that climate change and climate action was something that the federal government was doing to Alberta versus uh, a global uh, change in technology. As uh, you know, everyone else is moving together to work towards the low carbon economies that we we want. It's uh, you know Alberta says it wants to be a leader on energy. It's time to it's time to lead. I mean, as a as a, a just a recent example of that, I can think of you know just. Uh, last week alberta announced its uh you know a future of energy panel and you know with no disrespect to the five uh, oil and gas representatives who make up that that panel you know it's uh energy is far more than oil and gas it's uh, renewable energy it's uh, it's hydrogen it's uh, it's nuclear it's batteries it's uh, it's 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 building and transportation and efficiency and it's just yeah it feels like the we have to advance the the conversation to where the the rest of the world is moving on this stuff, or we are going to be seriously left behind.
0: Well, let's talk about the recommendations. So you've gone through four sectors here: oil and gas, electricity, transportation, buildings, and conservation. My my mm-hmm. mistake. Five five sectors. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have to start with oil and gas. So you're uh, suggesting a further strengthening of the industrial carbon pricing system. That's tier, uh, for those who uh, don't live in Alberta. Uh, Implement a strengthened provincial cap on oil and gas emissions. There is one, there's a hundred megaton cap uh, in principle uh, on the oil sands. I'm not sure that ever was ever uh, codified in legislation that was actually passed. Uh, Address methane emissions, advance the hydrogen strategy, take action on oil and gas liabilities. Huge, huge, huge issue. Oil sands, tailings, ponds, inactive wells, orphan wells, uh, on and on and on it goes. Um, it seems like the, the, uh, what you're talking about in this section, the side, hydrogen is, is proceeding a pace, I think, you know, mm-hmm. that, that that's, there's a hydrogen roadmap and there are all there's all sorts of funding being provided, but in other, and, and, and also in methane emissions, you know, in fairness, the, the feds in the province have got together and they're going to have a 75% reduction in methane emissions by 2030. But liabilities tier and the uh, uh, the cap on oil and gas emissions that those seem to be almost intractable in Alberta.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, let's uh, let's talk about these. I mean, the first one is that uh, yeah, continuing to strengthen uh, industrial carbon pricing. I mean, the good I mean, the good news is you know despite all this uh, political uh, rhetoric around climate and energy, I mean. Uh, industrial carbon pricing works and you know relatively quietly a few weeks ago you know uh, um, the Alberta government has agreed to uh, increase its uh, carbon price in, in in lockstep with the federal pricing system and has made some significant changes to um, its industrial pricing system that is going to create you know strong incentives to reduce emissions uh, over time so that's very positive I mean the, the the big thing about reducing oil and gas emissions is we need to reduce oil and gas Uh, emissions, regardless uh, of where you stand on these uh, um, issues uh, politically. Canada, like uh, 196 other countries around the world, has made commitments to reduce emissions. And uh, Alberta and the oil and gas industry have to be part of the solution. The federal government has committed to reduce emissions 40 to 45 percent for the country as a whole, below 2005 levels by, by 2030. And uh, Alberta, which is responsible for 40% of Canada's emissions, has to be part of that solution. And uh, clearly, you know, there's been all this political rhetoric about, uh, you know, that Alberta not being happy about the federal government proposing to regulate uh, Alberta's oil and gas emissions. But the only reason they're doing that, of course, is because the Alberta government has failed to regulate those emissions themselves. So if Alberta wants to take control of uh, um, oil and gas emissions. It needs to stop delegating responsibility to reduce emissions to the to the federal government. And uh, Alberta has talked about uh, and, and uh, uh, introduced a cap for oil sands emissions. As you say, it's never been uh, um, fully uh, informed in by regulations yet, but uh, Alberta has the ability to cap and reduce oil and gas emissions itself. But uh, uh, a, a serious climate plan has to, has to reduce oil and gas uh, emissions. That's not punishing the oil and gas sector. That's being fair on the oil and gas sector. Every, every sector of the economy needs to reduce uh, uh, emissions. Uh, and as you said, lots of low-hanging fruit on, uh, on methane. And we're seeing you know, really significant emissions reductions ha- happening happening there.
0: I uh, just want to point out that on the oil sands, I uh, interviewed Kevin uh, Byrne, who uh, you know for S and P Global, who uh, long, long time uh, he's been working on the uh, oil sands emissions. He told me that uh, emissions rose from seventy two uh, uh, megatons a year uh, of CO two equivalent per barrel. Uh, sorry, seventy two megatons of emissions uh, in twenty seventeen. Uh, they're now at eighty tons. Per year, uh, there'll be 90 tons by 2025 because there'll be an increase in supply. And if the uh, oil sands companies aren't successful in implementing carbon capture, utilization, and storage in a timely fashion, uh, oil sands emissions, I you can imagine a scenario where they would bump up and maybe exceed 100, you know, this decade. So that becomes, a given that context, that becomes a big issue. But there's something else I want to address here. And, I, and this is a, it's an arcane or a very nerdy kind of uh, debate that's going on. But essentially, the Danielle Smith has been writing letters, that's the premier, has been writing letters to the prime minister, Justin Trudeau. And every time she writes a letter about just transition or sustainable jobs, she goes on and on about LNG. And what she says is that... The uh, natural gas production is going to be cleaned up. It'll be net zero and very low emissions. And LNG on the west coast can be very low emissions uh, because of electrification of the liquef- liquef- liquefaction process. She says our clean LNG could be shipped over to shipped over to Asia, whether that's Japan or China, and and displace coal. Natural gas is half the uh, g. Uh, emissions intensity of, of coal. And we should get credit for that. It's like under Article 6 of the Paris Agreement. We should get credit for that. And in her way of thinking, and this is, this is I think, what dominates a lot of the oil and gas industry and in the provincial government right now, Simon. She says, if we get credit for that, you know, so if we sell a load of, of LNG that reduces emissions in Japan by two megatons, and we get then that lowers Alberta's uh, emissions in the national inventory by two megatons a year. She said, we can we can produce our way to net zero. We can produce more and more clean natural gas in the form of LNG, and clean oil in the form of decarbonized oil sands. And we can produce so much of it and get so many credits that we can get to, we can reduce our our emissions. And that's the best way for Alberta to contribute to global warming. It's it's a perverse kind of strategy. Produce more fossil fuels in order to bring down emissions is essentially what she's arguing. Uh
1: I mean, it's also how international accounting does not work, Uh, you know, uh, countries that uh, move away from coal want to get credit for those reductions themselves. And that's exactly how uh, international accounting systems work. Clearly, obviously, in the short term, uh, you know, as is happening in uh, Alberta use of natural gas um, as we move move off coal is a positive step, but um, recognizing how quickly uh, things are changing now you have to look at whether actually the use of gas is actually preventing uh, uh, um, um, the deployment of renewables right and uh, those projections you talked about off the top in terms of uh, declining uh, demand that applies to gas as well as coal and and oil we're seeing such uh, uptake of uh, renewable energy so I mean it sounds like a good talking point but it's not actually realistic and it's not not actually uh, relevant to the to the conversation
0: well let's talk about electricity. And uh, this, you know, my favorite saying these days is that electricity is the foundation of the 21st century economy. Essentially, the response to uh, the need to decarbonize the global economy has been, we're going to electrify as much as we can. You hear different estimates might be 70%, might be 80%. And the rest we will do with low carbon fuels like hydrogen and sustainable aviation fuel and methanol and, and so on. Uh, but so the electricity grid, the electricity sector actually becomes the engine of the economy in a way, or maybe that's the engine is, yeah, we'll call it the engine, but it, it comes, becomes the economy. And the irony here is that Alberta has the only fully deregulated, mostly deregulated electricity sector in the co- country. It's adding more renewables every year than any other province by far. Absolutely. does that, but, but is that enough? What else does Alberta have to do to ready itself for this, you know, new clean energy economy?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Every, uh, um, projection of uh, the future energy mix shows an increasing, uh, role, uh, from electricity and electrification of many end uses is part of the solution. And as we talk about in our report, actually, uh, electricity is one of the real success stories in, um, um, in in alberta 2023 is uh, an exciting year it's the year that alberta will fully come off coal for electricity uh generation the last plants are due to be decommissioned at the end of this year that's 40 years ahead of the schedule we had in place in 2012 just to give you an idea of how quickly things are uh moving and again coal phase out is a great example of something that uh Uh, you know we were told was impossible at one time and now it's been solved through clear policy direction coming from government as well as uh, market forces that meant uh, coal is an increasingly less attractive uh, investment option so yeah Alberta has the fastest uh, growing renewable uh, electricity industry in the in the country and it's uh, you know if we uh, uh, are careful about uh, incenting further renewable energy development, supporting battery uh, deployment as, you know, one of the key key gaps in terms of smoothing out uh, uh, use and demand of electricity. It's a phenomenal opportunity. Uh, but there's a big issue here now in Alberta, which we talk about in our report as well, is that uh, we're making some poor investment choices in terms of uh, building new unabated natural gas at a time when there are cheaper alternatives uh, through renewables. And we're going to actually be in a Similar situation as we were with coal, having these expensive stranded assets when there are cleaner, uh, cheaper alternatives open to us.
0: What do you make of the opportunity to, to generate hydrogen, store it in Alberta's underground salt caverns, convert natural gas turbines, power plant turbines, to either dual fuel or to burn hydrogen exclusively? and then when the sun is shining and the wind is blowing you make hydrogen you store it underground when the sun goes down then you can feed the hydrogen into the uh into the power plants and you can make electricity uh is in your opinion does that model have any potential certainly there's a i mean there's
1: a lot of potential in general for hydrogen. And obviously, you're seeing the Alberta government invest uh, uh, significantly in its hydrogen strategy, supporting the deployment of uh, blue hydrogen from natural gas. The International Energy Agency talks about uh, obviously we're going to be significant growth in both green and blue hydrogen over time, hydrogen produced from electrolysis. We haven't done specific research looking at uh, um, hydrogen power plants uh, directly but it's certainly worth exploring all those options c- considering how quickly uh, technologies are technologies are changing but the the significantly low cost of uh, you know um, solar and uh, and wind is something that you know we should continue to deploy much more rapidly across across world.
0: Uh, The various experts that I talked to uh, maintain that uh, the the learning curves and what we're talking about here is a variation on Wright's law so that every time you double the production of wind turbines or solar panels, your costs come down 15 to 25 percent, something in that area. So as uh, solar and and wind are deployed at record levels uh, throughout this uh, decade, that suggests that the learning curves are going to continue downward and costs will follow them. So that means that Alberta, uh, because it has the opportunity to deploy those technologies at a bigger scale, probably than any but any other province in the country, has an enormous opportunity here. Absolutely. And, but but it 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 seems like the electricity sector, aside from you know, adjusting carbon pricing a little bit or uh it, it really is neglected. It feels like it's just kind of taken for granted in Alberta.
1: Yeah, when we talk about energy, it's often shorthand for talking about oil rather than talking about uh, energy in all its forms. And that's that's exactly why in our report we talk about the need to commit to a net zero grid by 2035 to really send the signal that we need to make these investments now. We need to be attracting investments in transmission uh, infrastructure and energy storage. And, uh, you know, as uh, as we've seen previously uh, in Alberta under previous governments, there's really huge uh, interest and support in uh, community energy development. Uh, municipalities uh, want to get in on the action here as well.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Here in, on Vancouver Island, where I live, uh, my small city, we've got about 10 or 12,000 people here, but part of a, a larger regional uh, government district, uh, they're doing... Uh, they're doing a study on local uh, uh, energy development. So basically uh, solar mostly, but the, you know, they're looking at microgrids. They're looking at uh, uh, virtual power plants. They're looking at, they're going to look at a whole, whole lot of things. And it seems like, again, this is something that Alberta would be really well suited to. and Particularly, I, I think uh, uh, energy storage uh, coupled with wind and solar and microgrids. And you know, if I if I was a, a small town, let's take Wainwright, Alberta, one of my favorite examples. There's an oil and gas town, service sector, five, six thousand, seven thousand people. Uh, Is probably if it hasn't seen already seen the the local economy take a hit from lower, uh, you know, from the uh, reduction in, in employment in oil and gas, it it will. And if you were looking at that and saying, well, you know what, we we have wind, good wind solar resources. What if we were to build an electricity system that, uh, where we could produce enormous amounts of clean, reasonably priced electricity on our uh, on our own grid, and maybe it would be tied into the into the provincial grid, and we could make hydrogen, we could do all of that. What industry could we attract to Wainwright that w- is looking for low cost, reliable, clean electricity? because every entrepreneur that I talk to that's looking to cite a plant says clean electricity is top of the list. So I, yeah. I just wonder what your take is on that as a an opportunity to attract capital and attract investment. It's a, it's a huge opportunity
1: uh, at Pemberton Institute. One of their initiatives is a uh, business renewables center, Canada, of course, and that's a, a uh, an organisation that is designed to to help uh, uh, developers of uh, renewable energy um, find find companies that are interested in uh, clean energy procurement, and it's uh, it's an example uh, where yeah there's uh, such a such a significant growth in uh, private procurement of renewable energy. It's a, it's it's a huge opportunity for uh, our, our Alberta, and Alberta should be exploring those opportunities when, whenever they can.
0: The um, Alberta electricity system operator put out a report, I think it was early in 2022, might've been late 2021, but it was two years of consultations with stakeholders in the Alberta electricity system. And they know what's coming. You know, they can see distributed energy, which is, you know, wind and solar and who knows what else, maybe geothermal joins that group. Uh, So a number there. The the message from the report is the stakeholders aren't feeling pressure just yet. They can see it coming, but they're they're not feeling the pressure yet to change the way you would say California and and other states. But one of the problems they they are anticipating is that large industrial and commercial players self generate. Mm-hmm. You know they cite solar, they cite wind on their on their own, uh, on their own property. And they just set up a little microgrid, and and they they generate all the electricity they need because then they get away from the grid costs, the transmission and and uh, distribution access costs, and that just seems to me to hint at what is going on beneath the surface uh, that we see, and we see that happening so fast in the U.S. It's just head turning, make your head spin. Yeah, which is what, which
1: is why we need the government of Alberta to take a more of a leadership role in this space, and and actually direct system operators as well to actually incorporate, uh, you know, uh, these uh, targets for carbon intensity and expectations for uh, how quickly we transform the electricity system into their planning. You know, we need to, we we need to move beyond just uh, uh, affordability and re- reliability, and actually incorporate our. Uh, outcomes for clean energy as well into those kinds of calculations.
0: Well, let's talk about the third sector, which is transportation. And I have to admit, uh, the uh, work that I've done lately on both the supply and demand side in hydrogen, both in Alberta and BC, I, I'm really encouraged. I think Alberta has uh, understands the opportunity that's being presented uh, to it with hydrogen, not so much with electricity and i don't know why that is somehow hydrogen in alberta is hydrogen good electricity uh electrified transportation bad uh yeah. would you agree yeah i think so
1: i mean i think generally i i think you could say sort of looking across the the country uh here you know um the provincial government of alberta hasn't played the leadership role in uh supporting, you know, non-emitting uh, options for transportation for Albertans, investing in cities and active transportation that you've seen in uh, big cities elsewhere. Look, Alberta wants to see itself as a big modern part of Canada. That means it needs to be seen as having, you know, modern uh, proactive approaches to these kind of things. One of the places where it, you know, shows up, you know, just in a, in a place that's important to Albertans is just the, the deployment of uh, light-duty electric vehicles, you know, EVs uh, you know, for, for households. You just have to look at the numbers and you can see that, uh, you know, uh, obviously where, you know, EVs are all over BC and Ontario and Quebec, but Alberta is a real laggard here. And it, it's not through a lack of Albertans wanting to uh, to, to, to purchase EVs. It's we don't have the same level of incentives. We don't have the uh, rules around uh, um, procurement of EVs. So as a result of that, uh, car manufacturers are selling them elsewhere, and that's why there's such a you know a, a waiting list. And so so Alberta could re- really address that problem by uh, either providing um, incentives and also making sure, as the federal government sets these rules for uh, sales of uh, electric vehicles across the country they're going to be sold in jurisdictions that have uh compatible targets without those targets Albertans are going to are going to lose out so uh but you're right i mean obviously uh it, it's certainly worth ex- exploring the role of uh, hydrogen in uh, heavy duty trans- transportation but there's a real gap on uh building out the kind of uh ev charging infrastructure that would again support Albertans to make these kinds of uh kinds of choices and we, we we're hoping that all all parties will uh consider some of these issues in their in their platforms going forward.
0: I guess in fairness to the Alberta government, we should note that a, a couple of weeks ago it uh, released a, a request for a proposal for a hydrogen refueling or hydrogen fueling infrastructure within Alberta. So I, I assume there'd be Alberta government money in it, and they want to begin to put the the pipes and the other equipment into the ground that's required to be able to to provide hydrogen fuel fueling uh, wherever it's required. So, you know, since we're beating on them, we should at least, you know, at least say something nice when they when they've done something positive. Um Well, let's talk about buildings. And just this morning, I, I interviewed Brian Scott who with Pace, Alberta. And, you know, PACE, the PACE program, which has been in the U.S. and Europe for a long time, uh, allows uh, building owners, residential and commercial, to to borrow. And then the loan is actually, it's, it, the loan stays with the house, not with the owner. Mm-hmm. And it's paid off through property tax, uh, through property tax payments. And, you know, it's, and then there are other kinds of business models, like energy as a service, for example, where, you know, the, um, uh, a company comes in and says, okay, okay. Um, you know, Calgary Board of Education. You've got a bunch of schools that you want to improve energy efficiency on. It'll cost $25 million in capital. We'll pay that. We'll do all the work and put it in. And then we'll get paid back out of the, your, the savings, the energy savings. You know, those kinds of models are out there. And it doesn't seem like there's much interest in from the Alberta government down, really, on, on bringing some of them to bear to deal with this issue of retrofitting Alberta buildings.
1: Yeah, well, of course, uh, you know, um, buildings are the third largest source of emissions in uh, in, in Alberta, so it's a big uh, it's a big piece of the the pie. There's lots of things we can uh, do. Yeah, the pace programs are are great. We have them in Edmonton, even communities like Rocky Mountain House, a small uh, small town in central Alberta has a has a pace program, and I think it's oversubscribed in terms of interest in uh, in in doing that. There's lots of stuff uh, we can. Uh, uh, we can do here as well. Alberta could adopt all the performance tiers in the national uh, model building codes to really send a signal that there's opportunities there. Uh, yeah, deep retrofits provide a huge, uh, huge opportunity, and we're, you know, we're looking to see those kinds of commitments uh, from a future Alberta government uh, as well, helping utilities uh, modernize and improving the efficiency of heating equipment are all key key things that Alberta could be uh, could be working on, you know it, it it captures not I mean it's not just doing this for environmental reasons it. Um, it deals with uh, energy efficiency deals with the issue of affordability, of course, as well, and sort of and and clean and healthy healthy homes so we're looking for. I mean it, it goes back to the, the point we made up off the, off the top Alberta needs a climate plan that touches on every single department in the it. In the government of Alberta, and if it's not doing that, we're missing we're missing
0: opportunities to um, modernise and reduce emissions. I wrote a recent column titled "Danielle Smith has an oil and gas marketing plan, not a climate plan." So that uh, you, you, can, you can infer from that what my take is on the the Alberta government's approach to climate policy. Well, look, let's talk about the last sector, which is conservation. And this is one I haven't done a lot of work on, I have to confess. Just give us an overview of what you have, you, you know, Pembina has in mind uh, for, you know, forestry and agriculture and, and so on.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, nature and how uh, Alberta's energy sector interacts with nature, I mean, is, a, is an important issue, which, which is why we included some recommendations around uh, this. And of course, uh, Albertans really value nature. When you ask Albertans uh, unprompted, think of a word that describes Alberta, you know, after oil and gas, uh, you know, and something about politics, nature is the thing that they, uh, that they, they mentioned. So it's a key part of uh, Alberta's brand. Uh, you know, there was the, the recent uh, Top 15 International Nature Conference in, uh, in Montreal just before Christmas, and it was, uh, you know, as significant as the Paris uh, Conference from a few years ago for climate. The world agreed that every, uh, you know, 196 jurisdictions uh, in attendance that they would conserve 30% of their landscapes for nature. Alberta uh, has only protected about half of that, so there's a clear opportunity to, for Alberta to conserve more landscapes. Uh, Albertans are very against the issue of uh, coal mining uh, on the eastern slopes of the Rocky Mountains. Uh, uh, the current government has backtracked on uh, uh, opening up that area to mining, but a whole bunch, hundreds of thousands of acres of land that were leased to coal companies without consultation haven't been canceled yet and still sit on the landscape. So there's an op- opening for any uh, future government of Alberta to address that issue. And we just need uh, we need smart decision Making Much like with a climate plan, uh, without a good land use plan, we're not going to make good decisions. Alberta is split up into uh, seven different uh, land use planning re- regions in 2008. Yeah, land use planning is only complete in in two of them. So five of those seven re- regions, we're basically flying blind. So there's real opportunities to, to protect nature, protect species like uh, woodland caribou that are, you know, a, a significant Further, they're impacted by energy development, and we think there's a, a real opportunity for a future leader of Alberta to to, to, see, to seize these opportunities and give Albertans which they which they want what they want, which is a, a better balance between nature and uh, and uh, impacts of, uh, of of development.
0: Well, Simon, if I'm just to kind of wrap a bow around our conversation, I would characterize Alberta as not doing nothing. Right. I mean, there are things going on there, the, the, you know, the advanced, advanced on hydrogen, there are, you know, additions uh, every year it leads the country in renewables adoption. It's doing some things in, uh, in other areas to reduce emissions like methane from oil and gas production. The oil, oil sands sector is trying to, you know, use carbon capture to bring its emissions down. It's not doing it. it, There's not nothing going on in, in Alberta, but there isn't an there isn't enough, and there isn't a vision at the top of the food chain. You know, in the conversations that Albertans have publicly, you know, the ones that politicians lead or that in industry leads, business leaders lead, uh, NGOs lead, there isn't enough conversation about what's happening globally, how it's going to affect Alberta, and what Alberta needs to do to adapt and what it needs to do to take advantage of the incredible once in a century opportunities. The last time we had a big opportunity like this, an energy transition, you know, was was the switch from horses and steam to uh, uh, the internal combustion engine and and petroleum, you know, a a switch this profound. And we have a chance, Alberta has an opportunity to lead and it's kind of stumbling along the path, you know, not quite knowing where it's going, like it's in the dark um fair or unfair characterization i think that's a very
1: fair characterization markham yeah there is going to be a net zero energy boom and alberta has to decide whether it wants to be part of that economic opportunity and given as a jurisdiction we're a rare energy jurisdiction that hasn't committed to net zero how do we expect to prosper from the the journey if we haven't committed to the the destination so i think there's a you're right there's an awful lot uh happening but it's uh it's tending tending to be led by uh municipalities and industry and other levels of government and uh if Alberta wants to take its place at the leadership table there's a phenomenal opportunity and we should be talking about these uh issues in the coming months so so thanks very much for for covering this report and we you know we 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 hope this uh obviously we could have gone a lot more deeply into any of these 20 some recommendations and we, we really wanted this as a, a conversation starter and you know we hope to be talking about this uh much more in the in the future so thank you for taking the time today
0: well thank you for for coming on the podcast Simon. and for listeners i'll include a link to the to pembina's report in the show notes so that if you want to dive into it in more detail you can do that thank thank you for coming on simon thanks it's been great